Okay, turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to do things a, a, a little different today. We, we uh, wanted uh, to start our, uh, our worship off this morning with just a couple songs. And, uh, and then we'll do some teaching. We'll have our, our five-minute response time. And then after that time, we'll have a little bit more worship today. Just a little bit of a switch, okay? Okay, you know where we've been in Acts. Dave came and shared with us last week about what had taken place in, in Acts here when Peter and John healed the beggar. That's what we've been talking about kind of the last couple of weeks. And um, Peter and John have faced tremendous controversy and tremendous uh, persecution as uh, they went and they healed this man who was begging at the gate called Beautiful. And uh, then they got, their, they got themselves in quite a lot of trouble. And um, I think uh, that's an interesting thing for us to talk a little bit about today. We'll, we'll come back and hit on that. But this, this, this scene that we pick it up in, in, our, in our series of, of working through Acts is the scene that they get done feeling all, you know, really standing before the rulers of the day, defending what they did for the crippled beggar. And after they get done, now let's see what takes place and how they react and respond in verse i'm sorry x4 did i say three i did i'm sorry that's four here let's change it okay four starting at verse 23 with me okay on their release peter and john went back to their own home or their own people i'm sorry on their release peter and john went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. This is a psalm, Psalm 2, actually. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Then in verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power, now look what they said. it says there now, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And we've talked a lot about that. We're going to come back and hit on that today, this concept of what it means, God's sovereignty really means in our real lives. Now, Lord, verse 29, now, Lord, this is their prayer now. Now, Lord, look what they say. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word. With great boldness. A lot of things that we can learn here. Okay? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Just two for you today that I want to pick on and talk about. And the first uh, point that I want to talk with us about today is I just love this. I, and I, I can't get over 
We just got to talk about it. And here's what it is. Friends, I want to talk about prayer today. I want to talk about this here. Friends to pray with. It should intrigue us, at least in a minute sense, (laughs) that after all they had gone through, after all that the disciples, these two men had dealt with in this whole healing, that what they decide to do was go to be with their buddies and pray with their friends. It's such a good question to ask us. And maybe we need to spend just a few minutes. Why don't we pray more? Especially with our friends. What do you think? Talk to me. It's boring. boring. Wow. All right, brother. Love that. That's right. Okay. Somebody else. We're private people. Very true. It's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah, we'd rather talk and figure out our own answers. Boy, is that great. That's so right. Why else? We forget. We're lazy. Okay, we're done. We've done the sermon. After all the struggle, after all the, 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 the punishment, the possibility of actually facing death, They run to their friends to pray. They didn't, let me say that again, they didn't do what we typically will do as in a response, Dave was talking a little bit about this, as a response to pain and opposition or persecution or struggle or whatever takes place in our lives. Many times what we will do is we will run around in this giant circle like a dog chasing its tail of fear and anxiety, right? We've talked about that. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh, why did this happen to us? What are we going to do? They didn't run down to the nearest bookstore to get the best self-help book. They didn't go on iTunes and get some kind of a podcast that would say, help me in the midst of possibly facing death. Right? They didn't go to the yoga class. Uh, I'm going to get a bunch of people to get mad at me. They didn't go to the yoga class to clear their mind and get their body balanced. And then yoga's great. That's great. Don't, don't talk to me about yoga. That's not what I'm saying. The point is, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, is, isn't it true? You know, a lot of times the way I respond to my pain or my struggle and, you know, is I just want to go be alone somewhere and smoke. I'm just confessing to you. I just want to go be alone somewhere and like really enjoy tobacco. My pipe or whatever. That's how I like to respond many times to you. And many of you that have been with me from the beginning know that this is an issue I deal with. Sorry to let it all down for you. Sorry to keep it real, brother. I mean, that's that's just how it is for me. When I, when I get faced with these things, I want to, I want to run, I want to, I want to, I get faced with all these massive fears. I start thinking about a ton of things that could possibly happen. Are you like me at all? Am I just talking alone here, up here? What do you think? 
Some of us will pull out the liquor. Some of us will go on a computer screen. That's one of our typical responses is we will do what I call the dog dance, which is running around in circles, chasing our own tail, hoping that in some way we'll catch it and hoping that in that circle we'll get an answer. They didn't do that. Somebody has said that the beginning, listen to this, this is is great. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. It's George Mueller, a great prayer warrior. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. What, 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 What also don't they do? They don't move into isolation. I've talked, I talk with you a lot about this. Many people, many here that are here, all my friends, many of my friends, I should say, that are here, we, when we get down and we talk, when we get to the point where we get some coffee, and I hear a lot about your, your lives and your struggle, and it's interesting that all of us have a trajectory. Many of us have this trajectory that takes place when we're in pain. Okay, it's ah, it's bad, and the trajectory is, I am going to go and I am going to isolate myself apart from my body. I don't want to let anybody know what I'm dealing with. The community of people that I know, my family or whatever, I want to go and I want to be alone and let me just be in that place. Pain can be a prison, and oftentimes we can make it solitary confinement. And I've challenged you often, and I want to continue to challenge both you and I, and it's this, do people know about your pain? Do people know about your pain? Do people know you? Do they know what you're struggling with? Do they know what's going on? I've Many of you that are sitting in front of me today, I've challenged you with that many, many, many times, and still many people still don't know about you. Many of us have deep things that we're dealing with. For some reason, we're, we're kind of a shameful people. We're kind of, we feel that because of the things that we deal with, nobody could possibly find out. And if they do, would find out, then they would judge us and separate us and cause us to feel lesser or small. And so we isolate ourselves. And I'm not, I'm not seeing this here, even though that's something that we deal with. And then, of course, the last one would be they, they don't come up with some detailed strategy. They don't, they don't become middle managers of, of, of the mystery of what God's doing. They don't come up with a detailed plan or goals. They, they run, my friends. They run. They run to be with their friends. They run to be with them. They run to pray. They go and they report what's going on, and suddenly they break out into prayer. I'm really convicted about this in my life. I'm really amazed at the, at the need that I have more than anything else, at the need that I have to want to give people the right answers. Are you? It's one of the reasons why we as a Christian community in the evangelical church haven't done well with caring for our brothers and sisters because all we are are like the Pez dispensers. You remember the Pez dispensers? For those of you that are older, you probably know. 
The Pez dispensers where you get the little candy out, you pull back the head, and that's kind of how we are with life. Somebody's dealing with something, and we just give them the little Pez, put it in their mouth, and say, everything's fine. Take that verse, hear this, or whatever. Well, prayer isn't about Pez, is it? Prayer isn't about that. Prayer isn't about a pill. Prayer is about, I'm just laying it all out there. Right? I'm just, it's just like David, good grief. This really hurts, Psalm 51, right? This really hurts, Lord. Lord, the first thing he says is, Lord, what? Lord, have mercy on me. I need your mercy to even finish this prayer. They run to their friends to pray, but I think we need to be a people that are that are praying for each other. Maybe it needs to be far more of our first response than maybe our our fourth and fifth response. And maybe we need to work through our boredom. And maybe we need to work through the fact that it's embarrassing and that it's shameful. I remember one day my 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 dad came down to my room. We were talking and I looked at him and I, I said, man, I'm just dealing with all these things. I was in high school and of course all your problems in high school are like heightened. Every problem that's a little problem is like a huge problem, right? And I had many huge problems. And as he's listening to me, he just kind of, you know, his countenance just kind of like, hmm, you know. And he, after I'm done, he doesn't even say anything. He just breaks out into this like real, it's kind of like this charismatic prayer. I'm going, well, he's, he's not a charismatic dude. That marked me that day because I remember the fact that What he was doing was making such a statement to me that the power that I need so bad, the strength that I need, the enablement that I need, the whatever that I need is not necessarily going to come from him. It's going to be an, it's in an other directed. It's, it's a spirit thing. It's, it's that. And, and it was beautiful. Maybe we need to do a little bit more of this together to be able to pray with our friends. Do you have friends you can pray with? Do you have friends you can pray with? Some of us are afraid to pray. Thinking we'll say the wrong thing. You know, that's like, that's like my children when they come to me. You know, just to let you know I love them so much they can't say the wrong thing. They just come, they just are with me, you know. They want to be with me. They want to relate with me. They want to commune with me. They want to talk with me. And it's a good, good thing. And that's how God, I think, views it. Are we praying with each other? Are we praying to our Lord? It could be one of the greatest gifts we give to one another. Friends to pray with. And the second thing I want to talk with you about today that is obviously, and for those of you that have been here for a while, you know that this is one of my most favorite topics. I'm sorry, I'm a Presbyterian minister. Um, not really, but I just am in disguise. I love, I love this, I love this piece of scripture here that it says, and when it says, look there in verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Look what the first thing out of their mouth is. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. And when you when you get the feeling here, you're getting the feeling that this is this is kind of a the the prayer of conviction. You ever you ever uh, heard somebody pray, 
that was super convicted and passionate about what they're praying about. I mean, it was like one of those house shakers in this. I mean, we don't get a lot of house shaking after we pray today, do we? You no, know, maybe not. But do we? Do you, you ever prayed with somebody that when you prayed, you would just it would just ruined you in the best of ways? They prayed with deep conviction. That's really what's going on here. Let me let me ask us all a question. When I ask us, I mean me too. Uh, before I get into this. Can I ask you um, something that you, maybe you could think about this week? What are your convictions? What are my convictions? What are your convictions? What are the things that are absolutely unshakable in your life? You don't need proof. You don't need any more evidence. These are con- things that I'm deeply convicted about. Are we, are you, if you're a, um, if you're an unmarried man or woman in the room, are you convicted? Is one of your convictions the fact that I will save my sexual treasure until I'm married? Because of what? And I'll get into this in just a second. Because God is sovereign and God has said that's the way that He wants it. He's my ruler. He's my king. I'll submit to that absolute. That's a conviction that I have that he is that and I'm going to live in that. That is a very unpopular topic for me to talk with you about in today's world. Because today's world is extremely relative and pluralistic society that says everybody, whatever they believe is okay. When you're talking about a sovereign God, you're talking about an absolute God. A God of total truth. A God who has the total rights to say, this is how it is. We don't like it, do we? I know I don't. What are our convictions? Men, married men, are you convicted about the role that the scriptures are calling you to be for your wife? Are you convicted about that? Ladies, are you convicted about the scriptural role that's laid out for you and your husband in Ephesians 5? Are you convicted about what, how, about what Paul's telling you about today? Do you realize that even as I stand here today, it's a very unpopular thing for me to talk to you ladies about the possibility, think about that, I just threw that word in, the possibility of submitting to your husband. Let's not get all into that. That's for another sermon. But I do want to highlight it to let you know. Isn't it amazing where our world is? That the, the, even the very biblical principles that are absolutely crystal clear in scriptures are difficult for the church to even talk about. It's, it's, it's difficult for us. It's difficult for me to even walk over a line and talk to you about sexuality today. If you're struggling with homosexuality or you're struggling with morality, it's difficult for me to talk about the marriage relationship, the marriage bed, all kinds of things because of this world that we're living in, thus giving us kind of this feeling that as Christians, we don't really have to have convictions. It's okay for me to steal a little from work. It's okay for me to do this. It's okay, it's okay, whatever it is. You follow? Conviction is important in the spiritual life, in the Christian life, in the journey. Our disciples here were deeply convicted. 
For instance, this next week, maybe you're going to feel the Holy Spirit's knock on your door. And that little knock is, hey, make sure that you give some witness to my name to that coworker this week. Are you, are, how do we act on that conviction? It's a good thing for us to be thinking about. And we get this feeling here. We get this deep sense that this prayer was filled with deep passion and conviction. And they were convicted that God was sovereign. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even said it right off the top. They said, Lord, you are in control. And then look what they do. They go down there in verse 25 and they talk about you spoke by the Holy Spirit through David. They're convicted of the Lord's sovereign work in the Old Testament from their father, David. Lord, you, 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 you do your work in the midst of absolute mayhem. You do your work. Even today, as I just talked with you about the world that we live in, the relative world, the pluralistic world, the great thing is this. God still does his work. And their prayer is they said, Lord, you're still sovereign. You're still in control. You're still absolute. You're still king. You're still master. Even though we would look at it with our eyes and we would go, how in the world could that happen? How could God be sovereign of Peter and John almost losing their lives in Acts chapter 3? We don't associate it like that. We need to associate it like that. Apparently, God is willing to work in the mayhem and the craziness as, as the king. And that's very difficult for us. I think for me. When we say sovereign Lord, we say with them that Lord, you're the absolute ruler. You're the final word. Our faith is built on absolute truth that God is the absolute ruler. He's the king over and above our little world. Now, the problem with many of us, as we talked about that, especially if you've, ra- you've been raised in the church, which many of you have, the majority of you have been raised in the church, you can develop what I would call a sterile sovereignty. Okay? And the sterile sovereignty, what I'm, what I'm talking about here is this. Try to follow the concept. Sterile sovereignty is this. Many of us, because we've heard it so many times and because we've, we've, we, we think we've heard it so many times, we kind of have this, or maybe it's because of something that's taken place in our life, something deep that's hurt us, something that we didn't feel that God came through on. And I felt that like when my mom died, I felt like in, that was 1991. I couldn't believe that God, w- that my mom would be gone. And so I, I then indicted God. Do you follow? That's what C.S. Lewis is talking about in, in his book, God in the Dock. God in the Dock is where we reverse the sovereignty and say, I'm sovereign. And I now say, I'm going to indict you, God, because you haven't come through for me. And so my God then at that point becomes kind of this aloof God, kind of an aloof father that many of you have had in your lives. Very committed workaholic to life and work and everything else outside the home, but not committed to you, not willing to sit on the bed of your life, the bedroom downstairs, down in your room and talk with you about real things, right? So some of us have developed this kind of this sterile sovereignty that says, God, you're just really aloof. You're apart from you. You don't care really about my plight. It's dangerous. Some of us have developed what we would call an academic God. So it's aloof. 
or it's academic. All in the mind. The God of my confirmation class. I've been through confirmation. I understand baptism. I don't understand infant baptism, but I understand baptism. I, all these things, I, I want you to know I was raised in the church. I understand these principles. Here's ten things. I understand the Romans road, and I understand the four spiritual laws, and I, that was in, that was, you know, when I was raised. That was, that, well, those were big issues. You know? Our academic God. I know he's holy, and I know he's just, and I know he's triune, but you know what? It makes no flipping bit of difference <laughs> in my personal life. It's just kind of this, this class thing that I know, right? You follow what I'm saying? Or he's impersonal. Impersonal. You know what? Some of us, you know what the greatest, this is going to sound really weird. Definitely not reformed. Some of us, the greatest thing you could do for, for your life is to divorce the God of your parents and marry the God of the scriptures, like the actual scriptures. And so the God of the parents, and, and, if, and I know this could get me in hot water, and that's fine. I can handle it. I know that, the, I, I don't mean, to, I, I just mean, what I'm saying is that some of you are so connected with this past and this way that it all went down when you were in sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade and ninth grade. And, 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 and it's just kind of, it's this, it's this God that you have that I feel like you're, I'm just, we're just trying to, we got to open another door here to say, you know what? The God that you do have isn't the Lord that's being spoke about in the scriptures. See, because when these, when these disciples were saying, Sovereign Lord, hey guys, this was, this was like, Sovereign Lord, we're, we're in it! We, we believe you're king! You are ruler! We actually believe it in our lives! We're, we're, we're going for it! You follow? It's easy. It's easy to develop what we would call a sterile sovereignty. Many of us, because of our old schooling and the old tapes that we have rolling in our heads, and all of these things that I just list really make God out to be very inconsequential in my real world. Let me ask you that question stop right there. Is God consequential in your world? Does his sovereignty and his kingship and his rulership mean something? Let me give you an illustration. Uh, we're at your, Matt and Tony's wedding. Very nice wedding, by the way. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. Went and sat at the back table. And as I went over there and sat at the back table, um, I had my kind of my inner circle, my community come over and, and sit with me. And, and I looked out around that table and I, I just said, man, I love these people. I'm really, I really love them. It was beautiful. You know, my children were there, my wife and. 
I was wrecked by the absolute and unbelievable way that God has absolutely wrote my story. And But when I say my story, He's wrote His story into mine. It just, it, I, I just couldn't handle it. I was so deeply thankful in, this, in this, this most beautiful moment in the corner of Brentwood Country Club with a glass of red wine. Thank you, God. I was so blown away by God's phenomenal mercy and His consequentialness in my life that there's no way I would have ended up in that room without His movement, without Him being sovereign. I would have probably, you know, married like 25 wrong women before Shelley. <laughs> He's sovereign. This is a this is a really cool read. It's one of my favorite authors. I've quoted him before with you a little bit. Let me let me read this to you. See see what you think. In the Bible, God makes no attempt to appear nonpartisan. He is pro-me. With all His power, He chooses to stand in my defense. I am His. He loves His own to the fullest extent of His power. And here in my needs, He demonstrates the solidarity of the covenant we made at salvation. The pro-me God becomes the overcomer God as we discover all we can about ourselves. Learning our strengths and particularly our weaknesses, teaching us to abandon our self-reliance for His overcoming power. Knowing where our limits lie usually comes through earnest effort and disappointment, trial and failure, often bitter failure. Facing personal lack of power is painful, but every failure contains the seeds of knowledge of good and evil. This fuller knowledge of ourselves often turns bitterness towards those who disappoint us or even towards God Himself. We may be prone to indict him as though he were responsible for our failure. How wise we would be to see that often the culprit in all of our suffering is ourselves. How true the cliche, we have met the enemy and he is us. Byron recognized this principle when he wrote, I love this, the thorns that I have reaped are of the tree I planted. They have torn me and I bleed. I should have known what fruit would spring from such a seed. So if God's sovereign, I answer, answer this one for me, preachers. You all are. If God's sovereign, if God's in control, if He knows it all, if He's the ruler, then why pray? Come on. No wrong answers, classmates. What's that? Oh, boy. That's an excellent musician's answer. I love that answer. If he's not sovereign, why pray? Maybe prayer is more about us. Somebody else? Why pray if he's sovereign? Okay, so we can be more in tune with the Lord so that we can receive it. Anybody else? Take a shot. It's just relationship. Yeah. 
so that we can relate. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, that's that's the juxtaposition. We're talking about sovereignty. Yes. Huh? To receive his best. A lot of crap happens if you don't. That sounds like a good sermon. <laughs> I love that, Jane. You know, and it's the sovereignty of you marrying the right person and me so not marrying the right person. And mm. then he works through that too. Mm. That's the sovereignty. That's awesome. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. There you go. Yeah. Is he still sovereign on the wrong path? That's the crazy mystery, isn't it? That's like wild, you know? Right? Let me give you a few closing thoughts. When you when you look when you unfold the giant drama, like if you were to look at throughout redemptive history and biblical history, you you see you see a beautiful picture. It's like imagine yourself at the most beautiful opera house and the curtain opens. And as the curtain opens, you see four people around a kitchen table weeping in prayer. Right? When you look when you look at redemptive history, that's what you see. You see you see God's people weeping, you see God's people also enjoy in praying. Deeply enjoy, so does David. Deeply deeply joyous. In other Psalms besides 51, not too joyous in Psalm 51. God allows it all. But we see it. It's the giant drama. It's the story being told. And then real quickly is this. I think for us today to really think about prayer and calling our congregation into praying and praying with each other, I want to make sure to let you guys know something. We really need, we, we need some, we need prayer, uh, for a couple things right now that are ma- majorly on us. And um, one is is that uh, we l- it looks like we may be um, possibly have to leave the downtown campus, our midtown downtown, downtown campus, because the convention center that's going to be built. And um, so today, uh, Randy is, is calling people to pray. We, the, the, our, our, our movement doesn't have any money. So it's not like we can take a million dollars and go down and buy a warehouse and redo it for 10 million. Um, we don't, we're really unsure if we would be able to raise even like any money. <laughs> and so we, we were deeply convicted as we faced this this last week. We're just going, Lord, we're just going to pray. We, we don't know. Let me ask you something. But does God know? Yeah. 
He knows. We don't, we don't know. We don't have money. We don't know, but we definitely know that we've got to do. We got to, we got to pray. We just, Lord, okay, what are you going to do? God already knows the place. And apparently in some very beautiful way, God wants to allow us to walk through the struggle of getting to that place. And that's hard to submit to. Prayer is the place that we constantly are giving up control of what we think we control. Prayer is the place where we confess our dysfunctional need to be independent. A minister was interrupted one morning by his little son who entered his study and sat down at his father's feet and fixed his big wondering eyes upon his father's face. And the father turned to him and asked impatiently, well, what is it? What do you want? And the big round eyes grew wider still with unbelieving amazement. And the little voice answered and said this, I don't want nothing. I only I, I only like looking at you and loving you. Maybe that's what prayer is. Relating to God and saying to God, I'm just looking at you and loving you. And he says back to us, I'm looking at you and loving you too. It's a good thing to think about. Let's pray. God, I pray, uh, first of all, what's on my heart this morning is how I want to pray for uh, our community here and the many stories here that are, are very hurt and deep suffering stories. And um, we uh, are, are struggling people, and it's it's hard for us many times in prayer to just even even open up our hands and and our hearts and to say that you're sovereign and that we trust you and we want you to be the king over our lives. And so, please, Lord, just just really give us the strength, enable us as the disciples pray to to do your work, to, to be in your presence. Lord, I just, I just pray your spirit down upon us in our marriages and in our careers. And I, sp- I specifically pray for our musicians here this morning and in the mission that you've called them on. I pray that you would raise up their feeble hands and hearts and lips. I pray that you would you would help them to be the the creative person that you've wanted them to be that you want them to be Lord I just pray you'd strengthen them I pray for the 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 young lady here today who thinks that she's never going to get married she she thinks that nobody could ever love her I pray Lord that you would strengthen her in her deep deepest of soul heart we just we pray Lord just hear us as a needy people that wants so badly everything that you have to give to us. Be sovereign over our lives. We, people traveling. We have all kinds of things that are going on. Be sovereign, Lord. We trust you with what your plan's going to be for the downtown campus. We, we have no idea, Lord. Hear us. Just, just say to you, please, Lord, lead the way. Give us wisdom. Steer the ship. Be the head of your church. We thank you in your name. Amen.